I think there are a lot of people who might be at the stage where they have a manuscript that they want to publish. And I think if you're not super tech savvy, that can be a stumbling block for people. So it's just good to know there's such thing as a book designer and then a cover designer. That was Carrie Vrabel sharing details of her publishing process. Stay tuned to hear more about Carrie's journey as a writer here on Pages and Voices. I'm your host, Meg Bell. We'll be right back after the intro. Welcome to Pages and Voices, the local author podcast, sponsored by the Allen County Public Library. This podcast is dedicated to featuring the works of talented authors within our community. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We are going to begin with you reading an excerpt from your book, The Place Where Buildings Go, which was published in 2021. So the floor is yours. Okay. Today, most of Claypool, Indiana, is farmland that big agribusiness companies have invisibly purchased. What's left are rotting farmhouses that the families of old farmers and farmers' wives, either dead or in nursing homes, rent to men who want the space to shoot their rifles. There are tall, oddly-shaped boys with shorts to their knees and a hundred flea bites, little red dots, and the night, and men moving out in it. The land here has been made flat and plain, a place for trains to cross, carrying corn syrup and soybeans to people who don't know they're waiting for it, for thin trees to silhouette themselves against sunsets. Death sits on us bare, like the day sits on the hill, like the night sits on the lake. And I guess the men manage their fear of waiting for it by hammering objects into the ground and inventing occupations, and the women push it away by convincing themselves that men know something they don't, that the work men do holds a truth that is the natural extension of a shelter logic, a logic that begets shelter. Men split the world, the outside, the inside, and now the outside is as strange and unfamiliar as a dream. Thank you for sharing from your book, which really is richly poetic and it's full of prose. Um, Anyone that really knows you knows that the subject matter of your book is important to you. So when did you start thinking, this is something I'm going to write, I'm going to start incorporating this into a book and put it out to the world? Yeah, I had... um... My way, my way of writing is sort of strange. I, I think for a lot of years, I never really sat down and, and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a novel. It was sort of a way of recording a perspective or recording ideas that would just sort of, like I'd be driving or I'd be, you know, walking somewhere and just these like lines would just pop in my head. And it felt like that was sort of the truest, my truest voice, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I had notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. I mean, I think when I started writing this, I probably had like a Word document because what I would do is I'd write them by hand and then I would type them up in a Word document. And then I would end up with these crazy like 800 page Word documents of these little snippets, these little paragraphs or maybe two paragraphs here and things like that. And it was so frustrating to me. I wanted to share it because it felt like for whatever reason all my like pleaser tendencies when I'm, you know, it was something that it bypassed all of that. And I was just able to like say what I meant. And it felt like I was saying it in the way I really wanted to say it. So I wanted to figure out a way to share it. And I didn't really consider it poetry, but I didn't really, so it was kind of prose, but it wasn't Uh like a linear like narrative where I'm like plotting it and thinking, you know, like how can I, it's totally just, um, pure, a really pure form of self-expression. And so I decided, I read, um, Marilyn Robinson's Housekeeping, her book Housekeeping, which okay. is like just a masterpiece, a beautiful writing. And talk about poetic prose, like she's just, her writing is stunning. And I think it really inspired me 
that I could figure out kind of a loose narrative. Like her her book is so much about the words and the ideas, and it's um, it's a really like a cross between poetry and and prose. Um, so I decided, and it was a novella. So I decided I would just put it together as a novella and try to sort of thread it, like base it on a story that was familiar to my family. These two, a mother and daughter, living out in the middle of the country. Um, surrounded by these hunters and this sort of like threat of violence and things like that and just sort of weaving together these snippets in a way that pushed the narrative forward and um I don't know uh I mean it was it was an experiment right (laughs) for sure it was definitely an experiment so that was that was where it started do you feel like it's got a lot of nonfiction uh aspects to it then if it's got not a ton I mean it's definitely based on real life but there's not it's not a direct like it's you know some of maybe one or two scenes actually I took from my life but I think a lot of it was just sort of knowing that part of of the rural northern Indiana and just kind of piecing it together um that way Mm -hmm. yeah do you think you'll write more along these lines or is this like a one and done for you or are you going to keep going along these yeah it's a prose and poetry right it's a good question I don't know it's it's funny and I think I wonder if other authors who might be listening to this would think wonder if they have this conversation with themselves but there feels like there's this tension between just purely using writing to express myself like maybe people would do it in a journal or through like really personal poetry or just things that are just like I'm writing to myself sometimes I feel like I'm writing like to the sun or something like just to like to to write something down and to say this happened like I need to like yeah and a way to like record and feel like Mm -hmm. you're not invisible like if you write it down then it maybe it actually happened (laughs) it's not just like (laughs) within me and so I feel like there's that writing that I I do and it helps me and it yeah it is a way of processing the world but then there's the way then there's sort of a shift when I'm thinking about writing for an audience so writing like a fiction story or I did a lot of like I've written freelance I've done lots of different types of writing so I've written freelance for websites um, and I've done some articles for some journals and um, even all the way to like super nonfiction, which I'm like I'm sure we'll talk about but I just signed Mm -hmm. a contract with Indiana University Press to write a field guide for wild edible plants native to the state of Indiana which is like science so it's like all the way from like weird personal poetry stuff to science you know when you're good you're good oh my gosh yeah and when it can't do anything else you can't do anything (laughs) Um, but whatever I think there's this mindset shift that happens for me when I'm writing for an audience and it's funny because I tend to not like it as well when I'm writing knowing that you know thinking about like how are people gonna interpret this I'm trying to be really clear and really like and I always feel kind of the way I feel in real life I feel kind of dumb and awkward and I'm like but then people seem to react to that better than they do to my like super personal writing that I think is super authentic. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just this constant like battle with with those two extremes. So I I thought about doing just straight fiction, but there, it's always tempting to go back to these really raw, honest little pieces of writing that just come, you know, that just Very sort naturally. of seem to be the way I process things. And um, mm-hmm. so it's just, yeah, it's a sort of maybe that's what pe- nobody wants but that's what i want <laughs> that's what i no, do makes and, complete sense i get so, it yeah yes. completely understand yeah so when did you start thinking of yourself as a writer have you always thought that i tend to have a really broad definition of that like i basically think you know everyone who uses the written language to express themselves or to communicate like i think that 
their writers. So to me, probably, I mean, probably when by the time I was in college and I started taking writing classes, that probably gave me some some confidence in being able to say that. But I really think looking back, it started when I was in third grade and I got in trouble because I kept forgetting my homework at school. I would forget my books. I wouldn't take them home with me to school. And partly it's because I really hated my teacher and I wanted to pretend like I like school wasn't happening for that whole year. So <laughs> yeah. I was just like in denial. Just leave it over here. So I'm just like, oh, I, for- I forgot that. And um, and so my my mom and my teacher got so frustrated with me that they gave me this little Garfield notebook and said I had to write all of my homework assignments every day in this little notebook. And then I had to at the end of the day before I put my left, I had to check my homework assignments and make sure I had every book I needed to complete those homework assignments. And um, so I started doing that, but I was just kind of irritated by it. And then I remember during class when I was bored, I'd start just writing little things like, you know, like, you know, this teacher, I won't say her name. I don't know if she's probably not. I don't know if she's still teaching. Probably not. I'm old. But um, (laughs) I would say like, Mrs. X, you know, wears tennis shoes with her skirt or like, I don't know, just little like things to myself. Like just all around you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's really the time when it crossed over from writing, crossed over from being a thing I had to do in school um, to a thing that I was using to like have this relationship with myself or with, you know, my daily life. So mm-hmm. that's look, I never would have thought it at the time, but that's probably, I think that's when it started. <laughs> right. Okay. Very good. So what's the most difficult part of the writing process for you? Oh my gosh. The critic self-criticism, the total, like yeah. I hate every, I mean, you know, you get that moment of, of inspiration, you write something down and it's like, yes, and it feels amazing. And then you read it the next day and it's just like, who wrote this? What happened? I feel. Um, and also when I do try to write for an audience, I think the feeling that se- the self-consciousness flood in is, is really questioning that. yourself. Yeah, pa- it's painful mm-hmm. to like try to, you know, think of, well, what could someone be thinking if they're reading this and going through that whole like spiral is really unpleasant but yeah that critical voice if i could just you know turn it off get rid of that everything would be fine <laughs> i understand i feel the same way about my own writing <laughs> yeah so what is the most enjoyable part definitely the moment when you have an idea i think it was like pj harvey who said like that nothing is better your work is the best in it like when you get the first idea and then it's just all downhill from that <laughs> i feel like when you get to something you weren't expecting to get to because you jotted something down and like the next line followed. That's part of why usually I do handwriting because it seems like I think it better if, if I'm typing it, sometimes I, I, I miss those connections, but you'll get, I'll get like this insight of like, you know, yes, that, that is exactly the metaphor. Or that's the connection. And that's the piece that I, you know, right. in that moment where you really think you've made some progress, nailed you know, it, which of course it disappears the next day. But at least that feeling for a moment that there's like forward motion and you and you've discovered something really magical and cool. And right. Yeah, that's that's part. I know when I'm I write, too. So when I really feel like I'm in the groove and doing it, it's like, you know, you get a thrill, you get a rush and it is very exciting. And then. If it's not coming, it's like, oh, I'm just going to set this aside. And then I don't want to pick it up. And I wish I didn't lean into those feelings so hard. I wish I could just keep doing it. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. You're a great writer. Yeah. I think think it is tempting to sort of not, if if those moments aren't coming, to sit down and make yourself like structure yourself and have a routine. And I don't know very many 
writer friends who are really able to keep like a super rigid daily, like I'm going to sit down and, and write for four hours or six hours. I, I know George Saunders, who I love. I love him. And for whatever reason, I don't know how he's made a deal with his like critical voices. He seems to be in like on another plane. He says that those six, he spends six hours a day, almost every day. This is according to him. Six hours a day. And he has this little like writing hut that he goes to. And he says, that's like the best part of his day. And I mean, I am like, I'm on a roller coaster of like, you know, existential dread and and like self hate and whatever. So I, I would, I think that would be magical. I would love to be able to feel that way about writing. (laughs) I have to be inspired, you know, for me, it's, it's that art. It's that piece of art and that I have to be inspired to keep going. So yeah, need to tap into George. I know. I wish he could like be my therapist. Have you learned anything really like helpful? I know you've done some writing courses um, through the years. Have you learned anything helpful in those courses that have helped you push through those moments or any tips that you can give yeah. other writers? Yeah, um, sure. Again, like my whole thing, I've always been, I've taken tons of writing courses and I think I always go into them like deciding this is the year I'm going to crack it. I'm going to find a structure and, you know, figure out a way to make my what I consider my really authentic voice be more palatable to an audience, you know, that kind of thing. And it never works. But um, so I, I have resisted that for a lot of years. But I will say that when it comes to writing for an audience, if you have like if you have a goal in mind of publishing something, I think it really helps to do an emulation of somebody. So we did a ton of these in college, when I was in all of my writing classes where you'd find whether it was poetry or fiction, like short story, and you'd choose a, a certain poem or a certain short story, just one, and read through it really carefully. And you're thinking about subject matter and tone and different like quirks of maybe their turns of phrase that that particular author uses. And then do your best to basically write your version of that. Like, mm-hmm. so to in, pretend like, you know, in the style of this person. And um, that was, I think, a really helpful, because all the time, first of all, you realize that it's really hard to do. I mean, it, you feel like it always comes out in your voice in a certain way. Like, I always think, oh, this is, I'm going to be so derivative and sound just like, you know, and then it ends up like you can never really match the other person. Um, mm-hmm. But it also... I think is a good way to figure out where you're most, where you are most comfortable. And, um, and uh, there had been times when I've tried to do those emulations, um, in college and I just hated it. Like they, whatever, sometimes the teacher would randomly give you an author. Sometimes you could pick one. And let's say I got some random person who I just couldn't stand their writing style. And it was just like, you know, miserable. And it feels good to know what you don't want to do too. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of feel fine, a little bit of finding your way that way. But, um, yeah, I'd say if you're looking to to write for publication, I think that's really helpful. Okay. So, have how many books have you actually written over the years? Do you is, have you only ever written just one official book and the rest of it is your notebook full of Yeah. That's really this is the official book until I finish my I've started the manuscript for the Wild Edibles <laughs> field guide, <laughs> which I guess you could call a book. I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I have thousands of pages of, um, I mean, literally that, like probably 3000 or more pages of writing, but it's all like in this disjointed, you know, kind of these little pieces uh-huh. that have come to me over the years that I, um, have just, I keep them like a record. Cause otherwise I do have this weird, I don't know if it's like superstition or something, but it's this idea that 
that those things, you know, I need to hold to keep them because that's like a record of of my life and of a perspective that I don't think is, you know, I also there's also an activism thread in everything, as you know, Mm -hmm. is everything that I do, everything that I do. So I think there's something about like making, you know, showing that perspective when you when I don't see it in the culture, like there's something that feels worthwhile about keeping that stuff in writing. So um, so I have this backlog of stuff and I don't know. I mean, I've definitely um, I've written some short stories. I've done some short form stuff, but this is the only book okay. length thing I've ever finished. Yeah. It's interesting that you have those notebooks because I do. I have that. I have the same thing. So mine's full of post-it notes that I've written stuff on. Yeah. And so then I put the post-it notes in there. And so when I was looking to start something, a new poem recently, I just jumped into the book and grabbed one of my post-it notes. And use that as a prompt. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And some of them I could like, it's like a puzzle, you know, it's kind of yeah. interesting. So it makes me wonder if like all writers have the notebook, you know? Yeah, I'd be so curious to know. I feel like, um, I think a lot of them do. I think some people call it a journal and mm-hmm. some people write it in a more linear style. Like someone like David Sedaris, for example, who... Um, I guess, you know, he really just sits down and it's like these little stories of what happened today, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and that's not, you know, my stuff is just like these raw sentences of like desperation or whatever, you know. Trauma rooted in yeah, trauma. Yeah, whatever I have to, you know, whatever's <laughs> like I have to write down or I might not think right. the day. Um, so, so, yeah, I think probably a lot of writers do. But I know there are some writers who really view it, I think, really appreciate it more as a craft, which... Where it, when they're really approaching it as like, I want to write a novel and they, you know, really just being able to sit down and really start to draft the novel from start to finish without, ha- you know, sometimes that backlog for my, of my stuff, when it comes to a project, like if I were going to approach writing a novel, right? I think like the way I did this novella that I just read from, I think in the future, I might give it a try without referencing that old stuff because it almost makes it harder Gets in the way yeah in a lot mm-hmm. of if you're if you're thinking of something that you want to be for an audience like an en- enjoyable read you know right. sometimes I think it's easier to think of yourself talking to someone because that's more of the communication side of it versus the stuff that I'm writing really for myself um and for like the big invisible whatever in the world you know um so so yeah, I think they're the two different approaches. I see it as two different sort of ways at it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so do you then when you write with our notebooks, obviously that's a sort of a fly by the seat of the pants deal. But when you wrote this, were you plotting that or did you closer? Did you have an outline? Did you follow something? Very loosely. Um, and I think what I really focused on was I knew something I, I was fine with having little scenes like I the, the little scenes were already there little snippets little vignettes little moments between characters like that part was easy but I think the harder part was figuring out what what's the big thing that's going to happen like not necessarily big like a you know tornado or something but you know <laughs> big like emotionally big like where's that sort of um unexpected transformation point like mm-hmm. you know and I and that was a really big struggle for me to um, figure out, to decide. I thought a lot about that because I knew it needed to hinge. If I'm going to call this a novella and not just a collection of poems or prose poetry or little vignettes or, a, you know, diary. There have been some beautiful published diaries that are gorgeous. Um, things like that. If I'm going to have it say it's a novella, 
and really make it a story, then I need to have like some something happen, something that right. um, shifts everything, you know. And um, so that's as far as I went. So I went, I did so many different versions and came up with different ideas. And yeah, I think that that's as close to outlining as I got. And then once I knew what that was going to be, I could figure out how I was going to lead up to that and then how that was going to change things. You know, then it mm-hmm. kind of made a little more sense as a novella. Was there any part of the book that was difficult for you to write? Was there, were there any scenes that really hit you hard? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say the hardest part parts were probably the parts that were closest to things that had happened in my life. You know, like there's a character, a grandmother character in the book um, that uh, who this isn't the big thing that happens, but she passes away, which isn't a surprise because she's been bedridden for a long time. And that's something that, you know, mirrors what happened in my life. And so that was a that was a tough mm-hmm. chapter to write. Just the brought up memories of things like that. Absolutely. I think. I think the whole thing in some ways, because like I said, like this was really an attempt in my, this book was an attempt for me to really share what I consider to be really like authentic, sort of bold, honest feelings and perspectives that I had about like animals, for example, or about, you know, women and men and, you know, hunters and violence and guns, you know, all different kinds of topics like that. And I think probably the overarching hardest thing was just making knowing that I was going to make it into something that I was going to offer people to read and not letting myself round it around off the edges too much I think I was always catching myself there's so many different versions of the way I edited this I wanted to stay bold but I also didn't want to alienate people sure you know um and I think again with the activism piece of that it makes it really complicated it's really hard to write about animals and not alienate people you know and it's Mm -hmm. really hard to like keep people's minds open, you know, and let them and not be kind of written off and things like that. And I think I definitely let some of that get to me. And I think if I had to do it over again, now that I'm older, and I I would probably be even bolder and just try and just decide the stuff needed to be out there. And if you forget so much about how people might receive it, I wish I could go even that's sort of an ongoing struggle too, along with the critical voice, but just like, not worrying as much about how it's going to be received. and. Just, and are you mostly are you talking mostly about how you feel about animals, your the activism for animals? Um, yeah, I would say that's probably I mean, there are definitely some I mean, there's some major like feminist themes also, mm-hmm. which feels like the culture is a little more open now to, to listening to those perspectives. Yes. So I would say, yes, the animal really representing animals in a rural setting and in giving consideration to their experiences and considering them you know, their lives as worthy as human lives and sort of pointing out the crazy ways that, what you know, things that humans do to animals without even thinking for, you know, but then when also when thinking and intentionally doing it, because this whole, the whole part, you know, rural, northern rural Indiana is, you know, there are slaughterhouses everywhere, chicken houses. I mean, my grandfather was a chicken farmer. Like that's part, that part's true. That was in, that's in the book as well. So, um, those topics, I think it's really hard because as soon as people hear that, I don't think yet in our culture there has been um, a language that's, that people are allowing to, consi- to really consider the animal per- non-human animals' perspective. Like it's still considered this fringe, crazy th- idea and, sure. and people get offended and think that I'm, you know, whatever. And so I think, I mean, now that you've said that, that probably is like the real major point that I, 
as soon as you say like dog and cat, people's minds go to like pets instead of like, no, can you, you know, I wish I had a different word for dog or cat that made that person a person. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, and I know that's a total, like people view that as like a crazy, unwieldy, impractical way of viewing the world because we couldn't like function the way we function if we really thought that about animals. We'd have to like stop and not do stuff. And, it would you be know, completely it'd different. be a completely different mm-hmm. and people get overwhelmed with that. And then, um, and I, I understand totally that response, but it's like, but then how do you talk about it? Still right. have to talk have about a conversation it. You, about yeah. it. How can we open that? And try to change minds and Or hearts. just... And you just allow the perspective in, in, yeah, is Mm -hmm. a a whole thing. So definitely that, yeah. And I, before I met you, I, you're the first person that ever helped me see animals in that way. So I, I always found that really interesting. Do you know other people that feel the same way as you do? Have you met others? Yeah, um, I, I have a few people all across the country and even one woman in Australia that I had some like Zoom chats with that was really great. <laughs> but yeah, I think there so definitely there are, are other people. There definitely are. Yeah. There are people out there. And that it's just a small being the people pleaser that I am, it's like it's not okay if it's only a small number of people and the rest of the people <laughs> think I'm crazy attacking lady or what you know. And growing up I've around never thought here, that about you. I've probably been overly sensitive to that response just over the years. So sure. Um but yeah, you know me well. That was that's very true. <laughs> that's a very big challenge for me in anything that I write, for sure. The other thing I wanted to touch on about the book was your publication process. How did you go about getting your book published? I am so glad you asked me that because I would love. There's so many ways to do it. When I was in college for a short time, I worked at Author House in Bloomington because I went to IU in Bloomington, and it was. I'm in my 40s. So it's a while ago and I don't know what it's like now. I think it's still around. I think they're still doing it. But it was one of those like you pay like three or four thousand dollars or whatever and they publish this book. And I got I think that's where I got this really bad attitude about self-publishing because some of the books that came through there were <laughs> subpar. Subpar is a nice way of putting it. Uh-huh. Like, you know, people no one would edit them. It depends on how much money you want to pay. Right. So mm-hmm. some people just sent in whatever and they were full of you know typos that they didn't make sense or like and they could send in their own like one woman her author photo was like herself in a bikini in a hot tub and like you know there were some just really strange it was it was kind of fun but there was some really (laughs) strange experience for you so I had this idea that it that self-publishing was sort of like the equivalent of when your kid draws a bunch of cute pictures and you want to bind it into a book and give it to him for Christmas. You know, like it just didn't feel like anyone would ever take it seriously if I self-published it. So I sent it out like a sample of my manuscript. I sent to some agents and I sent to some small independent publishing companies that will actually read submissions without an agent. I really went the traditional route thinking I was going to have somebody publish it for me. I basically, I didn't receive any feedback from the agents, but I sent it to one independent press in based in Oregon and the editor wanted to ask for the whole manuscript. So that was super exciting, like that he was interested enough that he wanted to like really evaluate the whole thing. And then after he read that, he asked me to talk with him on the phone. Basically, we came, he came really close. Like he wanted it to, he wanted there to be more plot. I mean, this thing is really a cross between poetry and fiction. Like it's a real, you know, so he thought that the kinds of work that they had in their catalog was much more straight ahead fiction stuff. And he wanted me to sort of give it more of that feel. And I was so done with 
book. I was like, uh-huh. and he was so nice, but I just said, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think I can do that. I put and this I, one to bed. I don't bed. think I could. I don't even know if I could. So I decided I was going to self-publish that in order to self, I didn't want to go through a company like Author House, maybe because of my biases from being a college kid and doing it that way. But also because this is so slippery of me, but I thought if I, if I make my own publishing company, then it will look like a real publishing company published it because technically it did, even though I'm the publishing company. Right. But also I thought it would be cool, like maybe down the line, if my, my mom also writes and so maybe I could publish something of hers and just felt like a nice thing. So the first thing I did was start this business called Permanent Record Press. And it's just, I filed it with the, with Indiana and state of Indiana and I, um, put up a website, really simple thing. I wanted to do print on demand. So like right now, that's a really common way for people to self-publish. They can just go through Amazon. You can basically have a manuscript that has to be formatted a certain way and you get it formatted a certain way. You can either do it yourself, which is pretty tricky, or you can pay someone to do it, which is what I did. And they format it. They use the font you want. They get it all laid out correctly. And then you upload it to the Amazon print on demand center. And then they print you some samples. And then you make sure that they look good and everything's okay. And then they put it up. It's on their website available for purchase. And then it's basically at, they print them as people order them. So you don't have to like commit to buying like 500 books and keeping them in your basement, you know, and trying to. Yes. Now the downside of course, is that you make less money per book. You know, there are all these deals where people are taking little mm -hmm. pieces of things, but I wasn't like trying to get rich from this book. So I paid, I had the manuscript. I I proofread it. I had George Calamaris, who is a wonderful yes. person, um, no, George, a local poet and just a wonderful human being. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. He gave me so, he spent so much time with me and he was just wonderful. And oh, he also great. wrote a nice little excerpt uh, or little review of the book that I put on the cover. And he's just um, great. So uh-huh. he was wonderful. So I felt like I had everything locked in and the manuscript was, was ready to go. And then um, I sent it to the book layout designer person. And I can't remember, I feel like I might've paid like $500 or something. I don't remember how much it costs to have someone lay it out, but they, she did this great thing where, you know, we talked about font and we talked about how we wanted the chapter spaced and all of that. And she sent me some proofs to make sure everything looked right. And she basically just makes it so that it'll look right on the page and it'll match the Amazon requirements for the formatting like how much margin and all these little details how did you find her is she a bit was she somebody online or was she local she's somebody online okay um and i believe i probably just googled you know okay. who um for book designers i think they're called i've got it here in the book um i mentioned her because i also had someone do the cover that's um, was gonna okay. be another question yeah book design by leah lococo was who did the d- book design and that's who she actually how the words are going to look on the page, like how big the font's going to be, you know, and there are people who I think are able to sort of find out, figure out how to do this themselves, that you don't have to right. you know, do that. But I they wanted it to set. be, I wanted to give it its best chance. I wanted it to look super professional and, you know, I understand. whatever. So I had her do that. Um, and then I had cover, the cover designed, I had cover design was by Julie Metz. And I know I found her online um, she, I believe she did the cover for, um, Barbara Kingsolver, Poisonwood Bible, you know? Oh yeah. I think that was how I got, like, check me I, if I'm wrong. I'm sorry, but I think, I think that's how I found her. Um, and so, and again, she was another chunk of money. I don't remember how much. Um, but so she gave me, we talked about the book and she, I gave her, I think like an excerpt and then she gave me some options for the cover and what I thought. And I went, we went back and forth and 
Then she formatted it also to, you know what? She might have actually been the one who recommended Leah Lococo, now that I'm thinking back on it. Oh, sure. That um, makes sense. That might have been what it was. I might have gone to the cover designer first, and then mm-hmm. she might have. I, I think that's now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's how it happened. Um, I get asked that a lot. And I remember when I worked at the library, people would ask. I don't know if people still ask you a lot, but I think there are a lot of people who might be at the stage where they have a manuscript that they want to publish. Mm-hmm. They want to put it on Amazon and use the print on demand because it's super easy. You literally just sign up for an account and, you know, put it out there. But there are those restrictions. And I think if you're not super tech savvy, you know, like maybe I, I don't know if it requires the use of like Adobe Illustrator or if, there, you know, if you can do it in Word. I'm not exactly sure what all of that is because I never attempted it myself. OK, but that can be a stumbling block for people. So it's just good to know there's such thing as a book designer and then a cover designer that they have options, that they have that. options and then they can give you the file and the file is print ready. So the thing that they gave me was just ready to upload to Amazon. Amazon said, great. And then like maybe a week later, I get the sample books in the mail to make sure that everything looks okay. Once I okay it, then it's available for sale. Oh my gosh. Was that a quick, how long did that whole process take? I was slow. Uh, I think it probably took, it probably took two months. And I think you could do it faster if you aren't like indecisive and riddled with insecurity. (laughs) 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 But it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty fast. Like the book designer and the cover designer, the turnaround was super fast for them. They didn't okay. seem to have much of an issue. They have like the little trick, little magic tricks about how they, how they, sure. I'm sure they do a million of them. So they know. They know what's going it. on. Yeah. The deal is. Yeah. So I want to change gears a little bit here. If you could spend the day with another author, dead or alive, who would it be? I think I know who you're going to say, but I'm, you might be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I guess. Okay, George Saunders, obviously, I love, right? And he needs to tell me how to get rid of my critical voices. But I also really love, I loved Howard Zinn. He's, he's passed away now. He wrote A People's History to the, of the United States, and he's written, okay. he's an, definitely someone who is an activist and just a super kind human being. Um, and I would have really liked to talk to him. I love Alice Walker, too. Oh, she's on my list. Yeah, yeah she's, mm-hmm. she was such a big influence on me, especially when I was growing up. Um, and then David Sedaris, but he, I love him. I can't believe what he gets away with. He's so funny. He's like, he makes me laugh more than any other writer on the Uh planet, but I know like there, it's just, I could never write like him. (laughs) I would have to have to really like change my brain wiring for Uh (laughs) to be able to just say what I thought like that. But I thought you were going to say Mary Oliver. Oh, I love, yes, Mary. Yeah, she's. She is, you know, she's one of the few poets that I really, poetry was always hard. I was never, I think that's part of why I didn't really want my stuff to be poetry because I hadn't fallen in love with a poet. Uh I'd fallen in love with people like Alice Walker growing up, you know, Uh, and then George Saunders when I was in college, I, I, he had just started being published when I was in college and I was just obsessed. I thought he was the coolest thing. Um, So yeah, Mary Oliver would definitely be, if there was one poet, I would pick her. I was going to ask you one question, but I think, what is your kryptonite as a writer? And I'm going to say your critical voice. <laughs> yes, my critical <laughs> voice. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's the worst. <laughs> um, if your book were made into a movie, who would star in it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is such a good question. I think I love like a Michelle Williams. Oh, yeah. Because she can really do like um, she was in a great movie, Meek's Cutoff. Um, which is sort of set in like the, I don't know, Western frontier, you know, something like that. I feel like she's just has a real 
has that kind of like she's strong, but she's always in like a really bad situation. You know, <laughs> she does play those roles a lot. <laughs> yeah, somehow right. she just like makes it seem cool. To yeah, be, like, in a bad yeah. situation. <laughs> So, and then I was going to ask, you're working on any new projects. We know you're doing the uh, wild edibles or the field guide. Yeah, it's a field guide. Yeah. So it's really like it's foraging is something that I, I love. And so I, I have not ever really tried to write about foraging. You know, it just hasn't been something, um, they just seem like two different worlds. Like I go out and I forage and I get to know these plants and it's this beautiful experience. And then I don't know, I just come home and write about like my problems. <laughs> So I don't think about writing about the beautiful plants and the beautiful Well, nature world. just sort of opens all that up. That's what I think. Yeah. Whenever I'm out in it's nature, like, it does the like same thing for me. Exactly. Like, that's my opportunity to, like, let all of the, like, you know, upsetting, unsolvable problems really just flood on in. Yeah, and, you know, wash over write you. about those. Uh-huh. That's crazy. But um, so I've thought about trying to do some, like, nature essays or trying to spin it that way. But again, it's that tension between what do I want to write and what do I think I want to communicate to an audience. And if I want to communicate to an audience, I don't know if it's through writing. Maybe it's through, you know, drawing. Maybe it's through, like, speaking. I don't know. Something else. And so there's always that in the way there. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's coming up. And um, that's, I have, like, a year to finish that. And, by the way, something good to mention, anyone who's interested in, um, if you're doing, at least for me, it was in the nonfiction world. But, so, Indiana University Press has a proposal option to on their website you can propose a book that you would like for them to publish and it's this really it took me like two months to fi finish this but again I'm slow like it could take a normal person like eight hours or something but you have to come up with like two sample chapters and this is applies it does apply for fiction I think um on their website but you double check me and go to their website and look but so I put up this like elaborate proposal sent it off and then they said it takes about two months to respond so about a month and a half later, I got an email from the editor of IU Press who said, your book sounds like a perfect fit for our catalog. Let's talk. And so we did a Zoom talk and it was great. And then they sent me the contract and I signed it. So that and that's a very traditional as that's somebody who does not have an agent going to a certain kind of press that accepts um, proposals and submissions from people who don't have agents and then them liking what you sent and moving forward. That's one really nice way of of doing that but okay. not all publishers will do that there are a lot of like those big publishers you really have to go to an agent first but that was my little experience with iu press yeah i didn't realize that you approached them that's i had yeah. no idea that we that writers could do that so that's really helpful to know yeah and i will say again like i think it's so much easier in i'm assuming it's a, based on my experience for all these years with my other types of, of writing that i've done the deep expression stuff but this concrete <laughs> you know science kind of writing I feel like I had a real edge because I knew that they had published some really great field guides and I fit right in there and it just made a lot of sense. So, you know, don't get discouraged if if you have a different kind of book that doesn't, you know, this just happened to be such a perfect fit for, their, for what they've already published. Um, it, yes. does, it, it's, it, was, it was just a really nice, seamless process. And I think partly just because okay. I wasn't trying to sell my my soul, my personal soul writing that no one wants to read. <laughs> that, was, that made it so much easier to get published. <laughs> so your personal soul writing that no one wants to read. Yeah. People can find that on Amazon. Is that right? Yes, you can find it on Amazon. It's called The Place Where Buildings Go. And you do want to read it. <laughs> I I mean, you know, you, you can, uh, if maybe you're curious writer. about it. Um, and if you like it, then please review it. But not if you don't like it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't think anyone's reviewed it at all. Um, I thought about asking my friends, but then I'm just like, I don't know. It would be nice to have people read it. And if they like it, say. Say uh, that they liked it. Yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here. I'm so glad this podcast is, I think it's going to do a lot for our community, you know, and to get to just have a, a way to talk about your writing feels really good, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And we're glad to have you as the first author that we chatted with. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you. And best of luck on future endeavors. Thanks. I'm Meg Bell, your host of the ACPL Local Author Podcast, brought to you by the Allen County Public Library. If you enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by liking, subscribing, and sharing it with your friends and family. Your support means everything to us.